Hello. Thank you for downloading this sermon by Pastor Casey Helenchek. Casey is a missionary pastor with Village Missions. Currently, Casey and his wife Hope and their six children serve the Bangor Community Church and the surrounding area of Bangor, California. Village Missions exists to glorify Jesus Christ by developing spiritually vital community churches in rural North America. We now invite you to open your Bibles and journey with us. All right, well, let's go ahead and turn in our Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Uh, It does feel great to be back up here. I thank you all for your prayers, for your love, for everything, and and Dave especially for filling the pulpit. So that when I was sick, I could rest assured that you guys were still uh, being taught and preached the Bible, that I didn't have to worry about what was coming from up here. So thank you. Thank you to everyone. Praise the Lord. Amen. Uh, So it's been a few weeks uh, since we've been in Luke, Uh, so I'm going to try to get you guys caught back up in in where we are in Luke's gospel. Uh, Last time I was up here, the passage we looked at was Jesus sending out a bunch of disciples, uh, either 70 or 72, depending on your translation, sent them out two by two, uh, and sending them out essentially as missionaries. Uh, Their job, as Jesus told them, was to preach the kingdom of God has drawn near. And they were to do signs and wonders to confirm and to establish the truth of their testimony. Now, the truth, uh, the point of that teaching is that those of us who accept and submit to Jesus Christ, that we are already citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We don't have to wait for some future event to be a citizen of God's kingdom. The, The kingdom is not fully inaugurated yet. It won't be until Christ comes back. But Jesus continues to say throughout the scriptures, the Bible says throughout the scriptures, that the kingdom of God is here. It has already been established. It has already been started. And so we have what theologians call the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is already here, but it is not yet fully here. And so we are current citizens of the kingdom of heaven, though we are now uh, uh, Aliens and and refugees from that kingdom here on this world. On the other side of that, Jesus told his disciples that those who reject the message and reject the grace of Jesus Christ, woe to them, for they will receive the perfect and full wrath and justice of God and will never be citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus sent them out to the towns and villages around them so that they could hear the message of the gospel and repent and turn to Jesus Christ. So with that, let's go ahead and read this week's text. Luke chapter 10, verses 17 through 24. As always, I'll be reading out of the English Standard Version. I encourage you to grab your preferred translation uh, and read. Uh, follow along with me as I read. So Luke 10, 17 through 24. The Holy Spirit inspires Luke to record the following. It says, The 72 returned with joy saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In that same hour, he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding 
and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Thus saith the word of God. So the disciples went out, and they went out to preach the kingdom of heaven. And and guess what happened? They returned with joy. This was a successful trip. They were all excited to tell Jesus all about what happened on their, their journey. This, this was a success. They said to Jesus, even the demons are subject to, to us in your name. Now, we remember just, just back a little bit ago uh, in chapter 9, when Peter and James and, and John came with Jesus down off the Mount of Transfiguration, that the disciples couldn't cast out demons, even in Jesus' name. They, we had the father there with the son who had epilepsy, that the, the demon was tormenting this son. And the disciples could not help I could not do anything to this demon. And now we see them out on this trip and even the demons are subject to us in your name. Jesus's point to them then was remembered by them on this trip. It is not what the disciples were doing. It is what Jesus does. And they remembered the order of that. And so Jesus hears this and he's excited as well. He'd been watching all this happen and he says something that Theologians have differed on the meaning of for almost 2,000 years. It says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, the, what, they, what people differ on is when Jesus saw this. Some think that this is Jesus referring to an event in the far past. Uh, possibly Satan's fall from heaven sometime before Genesis 3. Uh, some think that this is a view from the far future. A scene out of Revelation, possibly Satan fallen into the lake of fire. We don't have to agree on when we think Jesus is referring to here, but I, based on the context of the wording, I fall into the group of theologians, see this as, as Jesus referring to an, an event that happened on this mission trip. Uh, the, when the disciples were out there, uh, this is a much more of a present uh, time that Jesus is referring to based on the wording and the context, uh, it, it, not an event in the far future or the far past, but a, an event that happened then. Uh, what that would mean is that the work of the disciples in Jesus's name was a major blow against Satan in the spiritual warfare that was going on then. So remember, we've talked a, a little bit about this, that Satan was doing as much as he could to keep Jesus from getting to the cross. The spiritual warfare was stronger at this point in time, I would dare say, than at any other time in history, trying to prevent Jesus from accomplishing what he came to accomplish. F.F. Uh, F. Bruce is an academic theologian. He says it this way. He says, when Jesus' messengers found that the demons, malignant forces that held men and women in bondage, were compelled to obey them as they commanded them in Jesus' name to come out of those people in whose lives they'd taken up rev- residence, This was a sign that the kingdom of God was conquering the kingdom of evil. He also writes, many of the rabbis held that at the end of the age, God or the Messiah would overthrow Satan. 
The report of the 70 showed that Satan's overthrow had already taken place. That's why we have uh, the kingdom of God here and now is because the battle is already won. God is outside of time. So to him, there is no battle left to do. Satan has already been defeated. We see that happen in our time with Jesus at the cross and the resurrection. We see that happen and fully inaugurated at the end when Satan is cast in the lake of fire. But we see that, that as Jesus is looking at things outside of time, that Satan is already done. That the work of the missionaries doing the work that Jesus gave them in Jesus's name has struck a severe blow against Satan and his forces in the spiritual warfare going on. Jesus continues. He tells the disciples, I've given you uh, authority to tread on serpents and scorpions, uh, being a reference to Genesis 3 with the serpents there. And these disciples, as they go out, they have God given authority to cast out these demons and to wage spiritual warfare. Now, Jesus also says that nothing is going to hurt them. And this is one of those texts that we have to look at. We have to make sure that we ask, is this passage descriptive or prescriptive? And what that that question means is, is this a passage that refers to us as well? Is Jesus saying that nothing will hurt us? Or is it recording what Jesus, simply recording what Jesus said to the disciples? And if it's recording what Jesus said to the disciples, what did he mean by that as well? Uh, We have to ask that question, uh, descriptive or prescriptive. We ask that a lot in the Old Testament so that we rightly understand how to read and how to apply the Old Testament in our lives. Uh, we see that a lot in the book of Acts as well. Is this passage something that is telling us what to do or recording for us what God was doing then? There's not an easy answer to a lot of those things. Uh, it depends on the passage. Excuse me. Uh, so in this case, the answer is that Jesus is not talking to us here and now and telling us that we cannot be hurt. Jesus is telling the disciples alone that while they are doing what Jesus commissioned them to do, while they are out preaching the kingdom of heaven, while they are out waging spiritual warfare in Jesus' name, getting the order correct and remembering what the order is, that while they are accomplishing what Jesus set them out to do, that Jesus would not allow them to be stopped in their mission, that Satan would not be able to harm them and stop them from completing what Jesus had for them. One of the reasons this is, is, this is important is because a misinterpretation of this passage is what leads to, uh, as one example, some Christians who believe that any true Christian can safely handle venomous snakes and be safe from snake bites and other things of that sort. That's a direct misinterpretation of this text. Uh, they would point to Paul towards the end of Acts when he gets bit by a snake and lives. Again, is that descriptive or prescriptive? It was describing what happened then. It is not telling us what we should be doing now. Jesus and the Bible never in context say that we will not get hurt. It never says that we will not die. It never says that we will not get sick, that life will be easy, that you will be healthy and wealthy if you have enough faith. What he does say is that God is in complete control. And if you are doing what he has called you to do, He will protect you until you are done with what he has for you to accomplish, not for what we assume he has for us to accomplish. And that's a hard thing for us to to remember. 
Because we can easily think, okay, I know what God has for me to do. So I know the end result. So I know God will protect me until that point. But we don't know what the end point is for God. Even in what he is telling us to do. We know that once we get to the point where God says, you have accomplished what I have had for you to do, then he can call us home. But he will not call us home until we have accomplished what he has set us out to do. His timing, his control, his decision, and his will. Jesus then says in verse 20, he says, all of this is well and good, but remember the important things. He tells them, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. No matter what else you are out there doing, no matter what you are accomplishing, no matter what success you think you are having, no matter what else you are seeing, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Yeah, the spirits are subject to you in my name. That's not the important thing here. Remember, first off, that they are subject to you in my name. That's great, but it's clearly secondary. It's not the main point. The most important thing for the disciples to remember, for us to remember, our number one priority is that our name is written in heaven. This fact that if we repent of our sins and trust in Jesus Christ, that our names are written in heaven, this is what we shall rejoice in. Everything else comes underneath this. Everything else comes secondary to this. Everything else flows out of that. That's not to say, okay, our name is written in heaven. We don't have to do anything. Again, that would be misinterpreting the text. What it is saying is that you can't do anything unless your names are written in heaven. Then you can go and accomplish what God has had for you. Our names being written in heaven is a reference to the eternal life in the kingdom of God. Uh, We saw a couple of weeks ago, again, the last time I was up here, that we are citizens of heaven even now, not just in the future. That means that our names are right now written in heaven. The eternal life that we receive is a part of the glory of God that we get to celebrate. The Bible makes reference throughout the scriptures of names being written in heaven. Uh, Moses mentions it. Daniel mentions it. Paul mentions it. Author of Hebrews mentions it. John mentions it in Revelation. Revelation 13.8 should be one of the most comforting and encouraging verses for any believer in Christ. So one commentator writes, The Apostle John went so far as to say that the names of God's people were written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. Before the foundation of the world. If you are a citizen of heaven, your name is already written in heaven. Once God has written our name in the book of life, it cannot be removed. And we see that there we see there that the names in the book were written before the foundations of the world. And those names are written. We get to 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 look forward to no pain and no tears and no death. We get to rejoice that we are kingdoms, uh, citizens of the kingdom of God. We get to rejoice in and remember that we are children of God. We read that we are adopted as his children, sealed by the Holy Spirit. We are purchased. We are obtained. We are redeemed by Jesus Christ. We are given to Christ by God the Father. 
We get to receive something that non-believers cannot fully understand. We get joy and we get peace beyond understanding. This is our hope. This is our joy. This is our promise. This is our everything. We rejoice that our names are written in heaven. In verse 21, Luke writes that Jesus rejoices in the Holy Spirit. The wording here, same word in English, rejoice. But the wording that is used here is a more intense and passionate wording for joy than in any other spot in Scripture, including when he just told us to rejoice that our names are written. This word for rejoice is is so much more intense, so much more perfect and complete rejoicing than what we are able to do. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. First, Jesus is God. So his rejoicing and all of his emotions, his communications, his everything are perfect and complete. So we are able to rejoice in our humanness. Jesus is able to rejoice with his godness. And that makes a a big difference. Secondly, Jesus is rejoicing in the Trinity itself. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, is rejoicing in the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, and he is praying to God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. It's important for all of us, no matter how long we've been Christians, no matter how easily we think we remember this, it's important for us to be reminded of the details of the Trinity every once in a while. We need to remember that Jesus is God, but he is not God the Father. We remember that neither Jesus nor God the Father are the Holy Spirit. We remember that the Holy Spirit is a person, not a force. And the Holy Spirit is God, but not Jesus or God the Father. All three are God. There is only one God. They are one God, but they are three different persons. They are not one person playing different parts. Any analogy that we try to use to, to, to explain the Trinity can be useful at the beginning, but all of them will end up in heresy if we take them too far. Uh, the Trinity is not an egg. It is not a tree. It is not water. It is not parents. It is not one person as son, father, and uncle, or mom, daughter, and grandmother. All three are individual, all three are God, and there is one God. Doesn't always have to make sense, but this is what we see the Bible clearly show us. And sometimes we can understand it, and sometimes we have to take on faith. Bible says it. I don't fully understand it, but the Bible says it. Now, I think there's a third part as well to, to Jesus' rejoicing and why it's such an intense Uh, rejoicing. And that's, he is rejoicing in our salvation, in in, in the disciples' salvation uh, in the immediate context, but in salvation as a whole. Uh, Later in Luke's gospel in chapter 15, Jesus says, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The fact that any of us are able to, to receive the salvation that Christ has obtained for us is a reason for full and complete and godly rejoicing. And, and so rejoicing that, that Jesus does here uh, in the Holy Spirit, praying to God the Father, is a complete and perfect rejoicing, and we are the beneficiaries of that. 
We are the ones that get the benefits of Jesus's rejoice. And God prays, or Jesus prays to God the Father. He says, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. We've spent a lot of time over the last, I don't know, month and a half or so, two months, talking about the wise uh, and things that are hidden from the wise and the little children and childlike faith and all that. We've talked a lot about that. Jesus continues, Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. We were talking a few Wednesdays ago during prayer meeting. We were talking about dual truths. Uh, you'll, you'll sometimes hear me refer to it as the natural tension of the Bible, where we see the two truths that can seem contradictory on the surface, but when you read the Bible, they're both true. On the surface, they seem to be pulling against each other. And they, they are a little bit. And there's a natural tension that God puts in there purposely. We see this throughout the Bible. We see it with man's responsibility. We and we alone are responsible for our sins. There is no, the devil made me do it. No, you did it. We and we alone are responsible to repent and to turn from our sins. We and we alone are responsible to have saving faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. We and we alone are responsible for ourselves. The Bible is very, very clear on this. But we also see at the same time, just as true, just as biblical, God's sovereignty. We see that we can't repent and turn from our sins without God. We can't have saving faith in Jesus Christ without God. We see that God the Father has called those who will respond to him. And only those who God has called will respond. Now, it's sometimes easy to see why would God put both of those in there as truth? They seem to be, again, contradictory. Well, because if he doesn't put both of those in there, we fall on one extreme or the other. Either it's all me, I earn my way back in by repenting and having faith. I have the faith, therefore I did what I needed to do to be saved. Or, go to the other side, God saved me, I don't have to do anything, I can just sit back and not do anything. Neither of those are true. But man's responsibility for himself and to repent, and God's sovereignty and only those whom he calls will repent, are both true. It's hard to tie those together. It's hard to understand both are true sometimes. But we can look throughout the Bible and it is very clear that both of those are the case. And so we see as God is, is, is the Holy Spirit is inspiring Luke to write this down as Jesus is talking in this. What does this end up meaning? It means that if you don't know Christ, there is no salvation. And if you don't know the Father, you can't know Christ. And if you don't know Christ, you don't know God the Father. If you think you know God, but you know him without knowing the true biblical Christ, you are worshiping a false God. And in that, there is no salvation. So Jesus then turns to the disciples privately and he tells them how lucky they are. He tells them to recognize their privilege, that they are able to see Jesus in the flesh, that they are able to hear his teachings firsthand that they are able to stand with him and learn from him and walk with him and see all these things, to be eyewitnesses to the life and the ministry of Jesus. David 
and Moses and Elijah, none of them ever got to see what the disciples were seeing. They got to see Christ in the flesh. They got to hear his teachings in person. And you and I, we need to remember our privilege as well. We don't get to see what the disciples saw and heard in person, but we have the most trustworthy record of what happened those 2,000 years ago, and we can hold it in our hands. We have our Bible. Most homes have multiple Bibles. You can reach out and grab any time you want and open it up and have an, a, a, a perfect and complete and sufficient and, and an eye, a Holy Spirit-inspired eyewitness to Jesus' testimony and his teachings. Everyone with a computer, a smartphone, a Kindle, a tablet, all of those have access to the Holy Scriptures anytime you want. You can turn it on, open up the app, and right there's the Bible. We are blessed and privileged beyond our understanding. And as we remember how blessed we are today, we remember the words of Jesus that we looked at here today. We focus on the first things first, and that is Jesus Christ. We recognize, we celebrate the blessings and the gifts of God. We rejoice in our salvation, just as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and the angels of God rejoice in our salvation. We remember that our salvation is through and only through Christ's saving work on the cross. We rejoice that based on our salvation, our names are permanently written in heaven and have been since before the foundations of the world. And lastly, that our salvation is by God's grace alone, poured out on us through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone, as told by the scriptures alone. And all of this, everything we looked at today, everything God wills, everything God decrees, everything God allows, everything that happens, whether we understand it or not, whether we look at it as good or not, all of it is done through God's sovereignty for the glory of God alone. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for this reminder that while the things that we do in your name, the missions that we do, the, the preaching that we do, the, the testimonies that we give, the, the everything that is done in your name is wonderful and amazing and we get to be blessed to be a part of the work of your kingdom. But what we get to rejoice in is that our names are written in heaven, that we are citizens of your kingdom and we get to spend eternity as citizens of your kingdom with you in perfect, perfect, recreated heavens and earth with no tears, no death, no pain, that we get to spend eternity with you, Christ. And what we see now through, through a dim mirror, we get to see clearly and perfectly when we are with you. And so we ask that you help us to stay anchored in your word, that once we are yours, nothing can separate us from the word of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from you, God. And yet we know that you have called us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, to, to continue to do the work of the, the kingdom, to continue to do all that you would have us to do and rejoice along the way that you have blessed us with salvation and loved us, written our names in heaven before the foundations of the world. We love you, Christ. 
Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Bangor Community Church. You can find us at facebook.com forward slash B-A-N-G-O-R Community Church C-A, all one word. If you would like to connect with Pastor Casey, please hop on over to CaseyHolenchuk.com. That's C-A-S-E-Y-H-O-L-E-N-C-I-K.com. Thank you and God bless. Thank you again for listening and joining us on our journey through God's Word. If you've listened thus far and believe in our ministry or us as a family, please consider partnering with us. We would be honored to know that you are praying with and for us. If you feel compelled to give through financial support, information on how and where to give can be found at caseyholanchik.com slash giving. Thank you and God bless.